Welcome to Harvest Time. My name is Chris Harper, and our host on this program is Pastor Gary Walton, the lead pastor of Harvest Baptist Church. We spend these 25 minutes together every week telling you the stories of our church as we interview our members and other friends of the ministry. We have two services at Harvest Baptist Church this Sunday, an 8.45 a.m. service and a 10.45 a.m. service, and we'd love to see you at either. We have Japanese and Korean translation available during that 10.45 a.m. service. That's also the service we live stream. You can find that on hbcguam.org, hbcguam.org. This week, we're back in Exodus, Exodus chapter 14, The God You Can Trust, part four. What do you do when there's nowhere to turn? Let's begin today's harvest time by welcoming Pastor Gary Walton. Hi, Pastor. Hey, half a day, Chris. It's good to be back. I've been gone traveling for a couple of weeks and uh, so excited to be back on campus and back on Guam, back home. Uh, we've missed a, f- a few weeks, uh, I have at least, of the series. I, we'd started a couple of weeks before I left and then Pastor Jake filled in, uh, continuing our series. Uh, Dr. Yo preached uh, last Sunday. Um, but we're thrilled. I'm excited to be able to come back and pick up Exodus chapter 14. You just mentioned, what do you do when there's nowhere to turn? Um, Exodus 14 talks about what the nation of Israel thought was a dead end. And uh, there are different times in life when we think that life seems to come to a dead end. What do we do then? And there's a really interesting and I think some practical and hopeful teaching that's found in Exodus 14, and we'd love to invite you to come and join us. You'll find a a church family that loves being together. You'll find sweet fellowship. You'll find people that are just pursuing Jesus and our relationship with him, and we'd love to welcome you and uh, introduce you to some people and introduce you to the scriptures as we study it together. Well, we are coming off a week of our missions conference. Every year at Harvest, we put a special emphasis on, uh, for a period of, uh, for almost a week, both with our our church and then our college, on focusing in on the cause of worldwide missions. And this last week, we've had some special guests with us on campus, several missionaries that are serving in the islands and, and then also in Japan. And then our keynote speaker has been Dr. Nathan Messler, and uh, Dr. Nathan, Pastor Nathan, is with us here in studio. So, Pastor Nathan, thank you for being with us. Oh, it's good to be in studio. Yeah, we had you here a few weeks ago trying to uh, prep us for missions conference, and uh, but that was on the phone, so we actually get to see face-to-face now. It has been a delight to be here. I've just fallen in love with Guam. I've eaten too much. It's been great. It's hard not to fall in love with Guam, I'm telling you. This is a beautiful place. The people have been absolutely amazing. And you're coming from Arizona, right? The Phoenix area. Yep. The surface of the sun. <laughs> and so we love the Phoenix area, but it's nice to be in Guam and see this neck of the woods. Dr. Messler is the president of International Baptist College, um, ministry uh, connected with Tri-City Baptist Church, um, and they're in uh, Chandler, Arizona, actually, so a a suburb right in the Phoenix metro area. It's been there a while. We'll ask him some questions about that. Um, You grew up in Kenya, though, right? Yeah, I grew up in Kenya. My parents are missionaries there. They're still there. And so my formative years were all spent there on the east coast of Africa. 
what was that like? Or, you mm-hmm. know, you, did you, did you know growing up in the States at all? Was it just Kenya? Tell me about growing up in Kenya. No, I definitely remember the States before we went there, but I was young. So going to Africa was just this grand adventure. I bet. The, everything was new. And, you know, when people think about Africa, they might think about the National Geographic special that they see, uh, or they might think about the animals. And, and that stuff is there for sure. And the animals are incredibly beautiful to see. But what will always stick with you about Africa are the people. Mm. The Kenyan people are just the warmest, friendliest uh, people you can meet. And so that gets under your skin. You can't go to Africa without leaving a little bit of your heart behind. It's just a special special place and special people. I think if we remember last time we talked, you, you talked about giving your life to Jesus at a young age uh, while, while you were overseas, while you're in? No, I actually came to Christ when I was still here in the States. Okay. I was seven years old. It just That was just shortly before we left. Okay. And that was in Bernalillo, New Mexico, just a little town north of Albuquerque where my dad was a pastor. And yeah, I was seven years old. So that was 1988 that I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And that shaped, of course, you know, your mm-hmm. life. Um, you uh, you were then in, in Africa through your high school years, um, ended up coming uh, back to the States to go to college, right? Yeah, I did. And those years in, in Kenya were, it was really during those teenage years that I caught a heart for what God could do with me in my life in ministry. I, uh, I tell people jokingly that I started teaching and preaching the Word of God because I was bored sitting in church. And I knew that I would be going to church the rest of my life and that mm-hmm. there were two ways you could go to church. You could be the person sitting listening, or you could be the person standing up talking. <laughs> and I was way more interested in one of those over the other. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I actually started a junior church in our church in Nairobi, Kenya. And honestly, it wasn't all for the most mature reasons. But in that context, just a teenager is teaching these kids. I did love the Lord, and that immaturity started to change, and I began to just really love the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. And so I was 16 years old. I was at a camp that we ran for actually missionary kids, and that's where it was at that camp that I just said, you know, I'm, I need to use my life for ministry. I, I love teaching, preaching the Word of God, and I just want to pursue that with my life. So, you know, it was the exposure to the different opportunities of preaching and teaching on the mission field in Kenya as a teenager, and just planted that desire for the Lord to use my life that way. So, and here I am now, and still get the chance to regularly teach and preach the Word of God, which I just love doing. That's really interesting. Uh, Probably people ask you this from time Mm -hmm. to time. I know I get asked this every once in a while. I mean, how, how did you know that you should be a, a pastor or in ministry in mm-hmm. some way? I mean, how, how did you know that? Was it just, you know, your path just kind of led you there? Is there a calling to that? How, how would you answer that? Yeah, the call to ministry is something I've spent a lot of time thinking about. And I, I think sometimes when we talk about the call of ministry, we fail to really tie it to Scripture. And I think that the pastoral epistles are the place to go to really tie the call to ministry into the text of Scripture. And I think we see some things there as Paul talks to Timothy and to Titus that mark the call to ministry. I think, first of all, there's a desire for it. He mm-hmm. says, if anyone desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. But then there's a measuring of character. And so, 
you can have the desire. And 16-year-old Nathan had the desire, but didn't have all the character, right? There needs to be a process of God's work in your life to develop that character. Then I think there needs to be a recognition of the body of Christ that someone is called, and that gets measured over time. So then I think you look back. This is I think you see this actually in the book of Timothy. You can see God's sovereign preparation for your life. Mm-hmm. To me, it's remarkable that Timothy had a dad, wasn't saved, and yet he had a spiritual father that God had providentially brought into his life, the Apostle Paul. Paul calls him my own son in the faith. He had a grandma and a mom that taught him the scriptures from a child. And so at some point you look back and I look back for sure and I say, could God have done all those things in my life without the intention of using those things for the sake of his name? And that becomes almost hard to deny. So the sovereign preparation, character that has to measure up to the standard for sure, that God has to do a work of sanctification in your life. So it has to be more than just the desire. There needs to be a recognition by the body of Christ. And then I think there has to be a spiritual giftedness that matches up. Everyone has a spiritual gift that knows Jesus Christ. Everyone has a place of service within the church. So everyone is called to serve in that sense. The call to the leadership of the church is related to spiritual giftedness. And so I think there's some ways that we can measure that and evaluate the call to ministry. You you talked about the recognition of the church. What, what does that look like? Does that mean, you know, you know, in a church setting? Is it leaders of the church? You know, how, how, what are you talking about there? Yeah, I do think it's, it, I think it involves leadership of the church. Okay. There in First Timothy, you have this statement that there was, you know, don't neglect the gift that is in you by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. And that's a little bit of a tough phrase, but I think it basically means there's a recognition of the eldership yep. of the church. But what are they recognizing? I think they're recognizing the effectiveness of your spiritual gift within the body. I think that's what they're recognizing. Mm-hmm. So I think the leadership of the church, but if someone listening to this program is interested in ministry, get involved in your church. Yeah. We all have a spiritual gift and we're expected to use that spiritual gift to serve other people. And so connect to a local body, get involved and see what happens. When I was 16, I think all I was doing is responding to the desire Mm -hmm. and pursuing that. And then as I pursued that and matured and certainly grew in my walk with the Lord, I had a lot of stuff I needed to grow up in, got involved in local church ministry, that began to confirm the call. It's an amazing thing. Uh, Similar to our salvation stories, you know, how we put our faith in Jesus, God's work in our lives is different for everybody. Um, there's there's always some um, common uh, principles, and you just describe them as found in in uh, in uh, the pastoral epistles. Um, but the circumstances attached to them are different. So you know, you described you know God's call and equipping in your life in your teen years. I was young as well um, as I saw that. But you and I both know others who are called to ministry in their 20s or in their 30s or you know I know people I'm sure you do too that had really uh, had a career and a family and in their 40s really sensed God's call to them um, and began to prepare for so um, so there's not like this cookie cutter time how this works uh, but God puts these pieces that you described together in, in calling us to ministry yeah that's right I think God's sovereign and providential process yeah. is going to be different in the particulars for everyone that's called to ministry. But 
that, and I just say that that context for the call to ministry is the local church. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the one commonality across whether you're younger or older, it's people that are being, that are saved, being discipled, and then serving in their church. That's where the, that's the context for the call to ministry. That's great. Your current roles as the president uh, at IBC, International Baptist College, um, just tell us about that and your your burdens uh, that the college would have or that you'd have for the college. Yeah, we're, we're concerned about where the next generation of leaders for the church is coming from. And we believe that the call to train the next generation of leaders for the church is a task that's given, well, to the church. And so we want to be an institution that serves the church in training the next generation of God-fearing leaders. I think the dire need of the moment, and I'm thinking about the church in America right now, the dire need of the moment are competent men of character. Those are the words that I like to use, competent men of character. We just talked about 1 Timothy chapter 3, if any man desires the office of a bishop, he Mm -hmm. desires a good work. And then there's this list of character traits. Mm -hmm. So character is what qualifies for ministry. But then there's a training piece to this, the ability to open up the word of God, handle it carefully and accurately, communicate that, the gifts of, uh, you know, the, the task of counseling, of leadership. So there's some things we can do as a college to train that next generation. But we want to be focused not just on the competency piece. We want to be uh, also focused on that character piece. And so that's the burden that we have. And at International Baptist College and Seminary, we're we're thankful for institutions that have liberal arts degrees and train people for the business sure. world from a Christian worldview. We're so thankful for those ministries. That's just not what we've been called to do. We're called specifically to train young men and women for ministry. And so we're focused. We have six majors. All of them are ministry-related. And so all of our students are pursuing ministry in some way. And we work with them on an individual basis because that's really where character is, is formed. It's in life touching life. And so we work with all of our students one-on-one. Mentoring is our philosophy. Mentoring is the method that we use of training that generation of God-fearing leaders for the church. Yeah, I'd like to ask you about that. That's uh, that's interesting. Discipleship, mentoring is a big theme. I was going to say it's a big theme for us. It's not really, it's not us. It's a big theme of the Bible. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. uh, as a ministry, we're just trying to do what the Bible says. So we're grabbing on to God's big theme you know, in this area of uh, discipleship. Um, what does that mean to you, is mentoring or discipleship? Yeah, we, we make a little bit of a distinction between discipleship and mentoring. Okay, Discipleship is the mission of the church, to take the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, to preach the gospel, to evangelize people, to tell them that Jesus is the only way, and then those that come to Christ to teach them to observe all things. That's true for everyone. And so we would see mentoring as sort of a subset of that and what we're trying to do, because the young people that we're working with, we're trying to prepare them specifically for the leadership of the sure. local church. Apprenticeship type of a Yeah. So we're really combining the ideas of discipleship and apprenticeship together mm-hmm. into what we're trying to do. So uh, discipleship is that big sort of umbrella, and it's simply teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. It's It's teaching people to live by the word of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what discipleship is. And we want to do that uh, with people preparing for ministry with also that focus of what does it look like to 
to lead the church. So that's what we mean by mentorship. Mm-hmm. I like it. Love yeah. it. Love it. You are also an Air National Guard chaplain uh, at the Tucson base, which is a little ways away from you. What have been your opportunities there? I I didn't know what I was stepping into 12 years ago when <laughs> okay. I became a chaplain. It has been amazing to me over the last 12 years, the doors of opportunity the Lord has opened. I love it. it for me, I, I'm the president of a Bible college. I work with a wonderful staff of Christian people. We work with Christian students. And so that world is, it can be a little bit of a bubble. And what happens for me as a guard chaplain is that I get out of that bubble and get into my wing. And for me, it's just regular gospel opportunities. And through the last 12 years, it's just been amazing to me time and time again to see people come to faith in Christ, to do that discipleship with people within that context. You know, our military is a microcosm of our society. Mm. And yet sometimes it's underneath a magnifying glass, the pressures of the military, the tempo, the deployments, take all of those things that we see out in the world and just put more pressure on them. And so it has just for the last 12 years been a sincere privilege to serve those who serve our country. And, you know, we help people on their worst day. Very often we're there on their worst day. You know, we help people with suicide ideation, and sometimes we're helping families after a suicide has happened. And so the the ministry opportunities have just been almost at times overwhelming. Hmm. But God has really used that. He's, He's used that in my own life to grow me, mature me in ministry. Uh, but we've loved that ministry it's, uh, over the last 12 years. As you've seen, we have a burden for that here too. You know, here on Guam, the the Air Force Base, Navy Base, reserves here, guards here, Marines coming. Um, and, uh, you know, I've said a lot of times to different people, Guam, particularly for the military that show up, can can be, can be a place of spiritual reset. There's something about Guam that, that uh, for somebody that's arriving, uh, sometimes they have a lot of the distractions that they had going wherever they came from get removed. A little bit simpler um, life, a little bit simpler things to, I don't know about simpler life, but fewer things to distract you and the opportunity if you'll take it to really focus in on on spiritual things. Um, But you're saying the military itself kind of brings some tension to it, some pressure to it that's just unique from, from other types of careers or situations. Yeah, they're just pressures yeah. on marriages and pressures on family. And yeah. so all of those things that you would see in society, just a little bit more pressure on those things. And I would just say to the to the Harvest family here, thank you for being purposeful about investing in our military mm-hmm. families. It would be easy for you to get to the spot where these families that are just kind of there for three years, kind of in and out, for them not to be noticed and invested in. Um, let me just encourage you to continue doing what you're doing. A, a local church community and family for our military members when they're here in Guam can just be an incredible blessing. I, it's it's rare, to tell you the truth, mm-hmm. that a family gets placed in a duty station and they find a vibrant community that they can connect with easily. But I saw that during this missions conference, that a military family shows up at Harvest and they feel at home. And I would just... Just thank you for doing that and continue that. It's a tremendous ministry to these families. Harvest is made up of, you know, a unique uh, mixture of, you know, a lot of people. We talk about a lot, very, 
very diversity of cultures and ethnicities and careers and you know different uh, stratas of life. Sometimes I see the distinction in our in our church body between those who are stayers. You know, it's it's us here. We're going to be here. We're going to be here for a long time. Uh, some that have grown up on island, some that have come to the island and have connected, and they're here. And then not just military, but even in other areas, there's some career um, for some other reasons. People might come and be on island for a few years, and and from the beginning they know they're not going to be here long term, uh, and Early on, I, I, you know, as I was trying to think through some of this, um, sometimes it'd be easy as a church to to focus on, hey, these people are going to be with us for the long haul. You know, we kind of sense that. But I think God has given us a unique um, mission in that, and I've I've sort of said it in this way that we, uh, in some ways we have a little bit of a of a farm system here where we feel like we can invest. If you you know if you can take a baseball analogy, but we're, we're uh, we can invest in a family or an individual, knowing that we might only have them for a short time, but in that time frame, man, we want them to see a healthy church. We want to do everything that we can to equip them, knowing that at some point God's going to move them on to you know another team or to the major leagues or to the mission right he's going to move them on and when we when he moves them on we hope that they have been fully we've done everything possible to fully equip them to know what a healthy church looks like and be able to see in, in you know and be able to be part of that you know in another place so burden for that and you know pastor Gary, i think harvest is achieving that mission because when i posted on facebook that i was coming to guam I had a number of my military friends that actually posted wow. and said, "Hey, when you're there, make sure you make sure you find Harvest." Yeah, they didn't know I was coming to speak at Harvest. Okay, they thought maybe I was coming for a military sure. uh, responsibility. And they said, "When you're there in Guam, make sure you find Harvest." And so, you know the, that that reputation of a of a place where these military families are welcomed and they're going to be served that has gone really around the globe. Yeah. Um, running out of time already. It goes fast. Uh, how does a person make their life count? We have been, we've had you here. We've been so thankful for your ministry and the missions conference. Um, and, uh, you know, we've asked you to challenge us, encourage us about, you know, making our lives count. What, what, what does that mean? I, I would like us to think about the Bible the right way. I think so often we think of the Bible as a book where if I read it and I, harvested some principles from the Bible, I could have a better life. I don't think that's quite the right way to think about the Bible. Mm. I, think that, I think the Bible was given to us for three main reasons. First, so that we would know who God is. Mm. And that is an amazing act of God's grace, that he, through the word of God, tells us who he is. But then secondly, the word of God tells us what God is doing. And those two first things tie together really powerfully. Because when I see who God is, I mean, he is the great creator of everything. He is the most important being in this universe. He is the total explanation of everything. Then I read about what he is doing. Well, whatever that God is doing must be the most important thing going on in the universe. But then point three is really God's grace to us. Because not only does God tell us who he is and what he is doing, he tells us how our lives can be part of it. Mm. And that's amazing. That starts by trusting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Then I'm made alive to God. And now I can yield my life and my members, Paul says, my body yeah. as servants of righteousness. You serve God. 
with what God has given you, that's how you have a life that matters for eternity. And the Bible just charts the course for us on how we can do that. And it really goes back to what we started with at the very beginning. When God saved us, he by his spirit gave us a gift that we're supposed to use in the church. And anytime you're serving the church, you don't have to wonder whether your life matters for eternity because the church matters for eternity. So serve the church. Love it. Man, I think about how many people who, you know, maybe even right now are listening and feel like, man, I'm just spinning my wheels um, going through life. I'm not sure what counts. Find a church. Uh, find where you serve. Um, God wants to use you through, you know, in his word and in his church. So thank you, yeah. Pastor Nathan. Thank you for your um, willingness to surrender your life to him, which has brought you here to Guam to serve and minister to us. Um, I've appreciated personally the opportunity to get some time with you and you've been encouragement to me, but thank you for encouraging our church family. Well, this will be a trip I won't forget. This has been a sincere privilege to be here in Guam. Amen. Thanks. And thank you for listening to Harvest Time. Of course, we want to take this opportunity again to invite you to Harvest Baptist Church. Now, on Sunday, we have two services, 8.45 a.m. and 10.45 a.m., could come to either service. We'd love to see you there. And our 1045 a.m. service is the one we live stream. You can find that at hbcguam.org, hbcguam.org. Thanks again for listening to Harvest Time.